Section twenty seven of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume four. Section twenty seven. Essay on Francis Beaumont fifteen eighty four to sixteen sixteen and john fletcher fifteen seventy nine to sixteen twenty five by charles dudley warner the names of beaumont and fletcher says lowell in his lectures on old english dramatists are as inseparably linked together as those of castor and pollux they are the double star of our poetical firmament and their beams are so indissolubly mingled that it is vain to attempt any division of them that shall assign to each his rightful share theirs was not that dramatic collaboration all too common among the lesser elizabethan dramatists at a time when managers eager to satisfy a restless public incessantly clamoring for novelty parcelled out single acts or even scenes of a play among two or three playwrights to put together a more or less congruous piece of work beaumont and fletcher joined partnership not from any outward necessity but inspired by a common love of their art and true congeniality of mind unlike many of their brother dramatists whom the necessities of a lowly origin drove to seek a livelihood in writing for the theatres beaumont and fletcher were of gentle birth and sprung from families eminent at the bar and in the church beaumont was born at gracedew in leicestershire fifteen eighty four the son of a chief justice his name is first mentioned as a gentleman commoner at broadgate hall now pembroke college oxford at sixteen he was entered a member of the inner temple but the dry facts of the law did not appeal to his romantic imagination nowhere in his work does he draw upon his barrister's experience to the extent that makes the plays of middleton who also knew the inner temple at first hand a storehouse of information in things legal his feet soon strayed therefore into the more congenial fields of dramatic invention fletcher was born in rye sussex the son of a minister who later became bishop of london giles fletcher the younger and phineas fletcher both well-known poets in their day were his cousins his early life is as little known as that of beaumont and indeed as the lives of most of the other elizabethan dramatists he was a pensioner at bennett college now corpus christi cambridge in fifteen ninety one and in fifteen ninety three he was bible clerk there then we hear nothing of him until the woman hater was brought out in sixteen o seven the play has been ascribed to beaumont alone to fletcher alone and to the two jointly whoever may be the author it is the firstling of his dramatic muse and worth merely a passing mention how or when their literary friendship began is not known but since both were friends of johnson both prefixing commendatory verses to the great realist's play of the fox it is fair to assume that through him they were brought together and that both belonged to that brilliant circle of wits poets and dramatists who made famous the gatherings at the mermaid inn 
they lived in the closest intimacy on the bankside near the globe theatre in southwark sharing everything in common even the bed and some say their clothing which is likely enough as it can be paralleled without going back three centuries it is certain that the more affluent circumstances of beaumont tided his less fortunate friend over many a difficulty and the astonishing dramatic productivity of fletcher's later period was probably due to beaumont's untimely death making it necessary for fletcher to rely on his pen for support in sixteen thirteen beaumont's marriage to a kentish heiress put an end to the communistic bachelor establishment he died march sixth sixteen sixteen not quite six weeks before shakespeare and was buried in westminster abbey fletcher survived him nine years dying of the plague in sixteen twenty five he was buried not by the side of the poet with whose name his own is forever linked but at st saviour's southwark a student of physiognomy says swinburne will not fail to mark the points of likeness and of difference between the faces of the two friends both models of noble manhood beaumont the statelier and serener of the two with clear thoughtful eyes full arched brows and strong aquiline nose with a little cleft at the tip a grave and beautiful mouth with full and finely curved lips the form of face a very pure oval and the imperial head with its fair large front and clustering hair set firm and carried high with an aspect of quiet command and knightly observation fletcher with more keen and fervid face sharper in outline every way with an air of bright ardour and glad fiery impatience sanguine and nervous suiting the complexion and colour of hair the expression of the eager eyes and lips almost rivalling that of a noble hound in act to break the leash it strains at two heads as lordly of feature and as expressive of aspect as any gallery of great men can show it may not be altogether fanciful to transfer this description of their physical bearing to their mental equipment and draw some conclusions as to their several endowments and their respective share in the work that goes under their common name of course it is impossible to draw hard and fast lines of demarcation and assign to each poet his own words they above all others would probably have resented so dogmatic a procedure and affirmed the dramas to be their joint offspring even as a child partakes of the nature of both its parents their plays are organic structures with well-worked-out plots and for the most part well-sustained characters they present a complete fusion of the different elements contributed by each author never showing that agglomeration of incongruous matter so often found among the work of the lesser playwrights where each hand can be singled out and held responsible for its share elaborate attempts based on verse tests have been made to disentangle the two threads of their poetic fabric these attempts show much patient analysis and are interesting as evidences of ingenuity but they appeal more to the scholar than to the lover of poetry yet a sympathetic reading and a comparison of the plays professedly written by fletcher alone after beaumont's death with those jointly produced by them in the early part of fletcher's career 
shows the different qualities of mind that went to the making of the work and the individual characteristics of the men that wrote it here swinburne's eloquence gives concreteness to the picture in the joint plays there is a surer touch a deeper more pathetic note a greater intensity of emotion there is more tragic pathos and passion more strong genuine humor nobler sentiments the predominance of these graver sweeter qualities may well be attributed to beaumont's influence although a disciple of johnson in comedy he was a close follower of shakespeare in tragedy and a student of the rhythms and metres of shakespeare's second manner of the period that saw hamlet macbeth and the plays clustering around them too great a poet himself merely to imitate beaumont yet felt the influence of that still greater poet who swayed every one of the later dramatists with the single exception perhaps of johnson but in pure comedy mixed with farce and mock heroic parody he belongs to the school of rare ben fletcher on the other hand is more brilliant more rapid and supple readier in his resources of more startling invention he has an extraordinary swiftness and fluency of speech and no other dramatist not even shakespeare equals him in the remarkable facility with which he reproduces in light airy verse the bantering conversations of the young beaux and court gentlemen of the time of james i his peculiar trick of the redundant syllable at the end of many of his lines is largely responsible in producing this effect of ordinary speech that yet is verse without being prosy there is a flavor about fletcher's work peculiarly its own he created a new form of mixed comedy and dramatic romance dealing with the humors and mischances of men yet possessing a romantic coloring he had great skill in combining his effects and threw a fresh charm and vividness over his fanciful world the quality of his genius is essentially bright and sunny and therefore he is best in his comic and romantic work his tragedy although it has great pathos and passion does not compel tears nor does it subdue by its terror it lacks the note of inevitableness which is the final touchstone of tragic greatness their first joint play philaster or love lies a-bleeding acted in sixteen o eight is in its detached passages the most famous among the others the maid's tragedy produced about the same time is their finest play on its purely tragic side although the plot is disagreeable king and no king attracts because of the tender character drawing of panthea the scornful lady is noteworthy as the best exponent outside his own work of the school of johnson on its grosser side the knight of the burning pestle is at once a burlesque on knight errantry and a comedy of manners among the tragedies presumably produced by fletcher alone bondica is one of the best followed closely by the false one valentinian and thierry and theodore the chances and the wild goose chase may be taken as examples of the whole work on its comic side the humorous lieutenant is the best expression of the faults and merits of fletcher whose comedies swinburne has divided into three groups pure comedies 
heroic or romantic dramas and mixed comedy and romance to the first group belong rule a wife and have a wife fletcher's comic masterpiece wit without money the wild goose chase the chances the noble gentleman the second group includes the knight of malta full of heroic passion and catholic devotion the pilgrim the loyal subject a wife for a month love's pilgrimage the lover's progress the third group comprises the spanish curate monsieur thomas the custom of the country the elder brother the little french lawyer the humorous lieutenant women pleased beggar's bush the fair maid of the inn fletcher had a part with shakespeare in the two noble kinsmen and he wrote also in conjunction with massinger rowley and others shirley too is believed to have finished some of his plays leaving aside shakespeare beaumont and fletcher's plays are the best dramatic expression of the romantic spirit of elizabethan england their luxurious playful fancy delighted in the highly colored spicy tales of the southern imagination which the renaissance was then bringing into england they drew especially upon spanish material and their plays are rightly interpreted only when studied in reference to this spanish foundation but they are at the same time true englishmen and above all true elizabethans which is as much as to say that borne along by the eager strenuous spirit of their time reaching out toward new sensations and impressions new countries and customs and dazzled by the romanesque and fantastic they took up this exotic material and made it acceptable to the english mind they satisfied the curiosity of their time and expressed its surface ideas and longings this accounts for their great popularity which in their day eclipsed even shakespeare's as it accounts also for their shortcomings they skimmed over the surface of passion they saw the pathos and the pity of it but not the terror they lacked shakespeare's profound insight into the well-springs of human action and sacrificed truth of life to stage effect they shared with him one grave fault which is indeed the besetting sin of dramatists resulting in part from the necessarily curt and outline action of the drama in part from the love of audiences for strong emotional effects namely the abrupt and unexplained moral revolutions of their characters effects are too often produced without apparent causes a novelist has space to fill in the blanks the sudden contrition of the usurper in as you like it is a familiar instance beaumont and fletcher have plenty as bad probably there was more of this in real life during the middle ages when most people still had much barbaric instability of feeling and were liable to sudden revulsions of purpose than in our more equable society on the other hand virtue often suffers needlessly and acquiescingly in their speech they indulged in much license fletcher especially he was prone to confuse right and wrong the strenuousness of the earlier elizabethan age was passing away and the relaxing morality of jacobean society was making its way into literature culminating in the entire disintegration of the time of charles the second 
which it is very shallow to lay entirely to the puritans there would have been a time of great laxity had cromwell or the puritan ascendancy never existed beaumont and fletcher in their eagerness to please took no thought of the after-effects of their plays morality did not enter into their scheme of life yet they were not immoral but merely unmoral they lacked the high seriousness that gives its permanent value to shakespeare's tragic work they wrote not to embody the everlasting truths of life as he did not because they were oppressed with the weight of a new message striving for utterance not because they were aflame with the passion for the unattainable as marlowe not to lash with the stings of bitter mockery the follies and vices of their fellow-men as ben jonson not primarily to make us shudder at the terrible tragedies enacted by corrupted hearts and the needless unending sufferings of persecuted virtue as webster nor yet to give us a faithful picture of the different phases of life in jacobean london as decker haywood middleton and others they wrote for the very joy of writing to give vent to their overbubbling fancy and their tender feeling they are lyrical and descriptive poets of the first order with a wonderful ease and grace of expression the songs scattered throughout their plays are second only to shakespeare's the volume and variety of their work is astonishing they left more than fifty-two printed plays and all of these show an extraordinary power of invention the most diverse passions characters and situations enter into the work their stories stimulate our curiosity and their characters appeal to our sympathies especially in half farcical half pathetic comedy they have no superior their wit and spirit here find freest play despite much coarseness their work is full of delicate sensibility and suffused with a romantic grace of form and a tenderness of expression that endears them to our hearts and makes them more lovable than any of their brother dramatists with the possible exception of genial decker the spirit of chivalry breathes through their work and the gentleman and scholar is always present for in contradiction to most of their fellow-workers they were not on the stage they never took part in its more practical affairs either as actors or managers they derived the technical knowledge necessary to a successful playwright from their intimacy with stage folk as poets aside from their dramatic work they occupy a secondary place beaumont especially has left beyond one or two exquisite lyrics little that is noteworthy except some commendatory verses addressed to johnson on the other hand fletcher's faithful shepherdess with johnson's sad shepherd and milton's comus form that delightful trilogy of the first pastoral poems in the english language the popularity of beaumont and fletcher in the seventeenth century as compared to that of shakespeare has been over-emphasized for between sixteen twenty three and sixteen eighty five they have only two folio editions those of sixteen forty seven and sixteen seventy nine as against four of shakespeare their position among the elizabethans is unique they did not found a school either in comedy or tragedy massinger 
who had more in common with them than any other of the leading dramatists cannot be called their disciple for though he worked in the same field he is more sober and severe more careful in the construction of his plots more of a satirist and stern judge of society with the succeeding playwrights the decadence of the elizabethan drama began end of section twenty seven